When I knew Sean Chester, he was like the dark prince of Las Vegas, and I've watched him go through an evolution deep into the plant medicine world that has ultimately evolved him into a position where he's offering guided experiences with some of the great Taitas, the maestros of Colombia, offering ayahuasca experiences. It's been an absolute amazing pleasure to watch and be a part of his transformation and get to dive in to some incredible stories, both of the old days in Las Vegas and the new days down in the jungles of Colombia. Enjoy this podcast with Sean Chester. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Inside Tracker. So as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization. And so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification. Sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on. And to do that, you need some support. And one of the best services to come about is called Inside Tracker. Our good friend Andrew Huberman backs them and supports them. They really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work, but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science-backed recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke advice and can be really valuable. So if you're interested, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash AMP. Once again, insidetracker.com slash AMP for 25% off. And lastly, we have on it. And I'm going to talk again about Alpha Brain Black Label. It took us 10 years to find a formula that was the black label version of Alpha Brain. What does black label mean? Well, that's just like the premium. That's the good shit. That's the top shelf shit. Now I love Alpha Brain. I'm actually on Alpha Brain regular right now and I feel sharp as fuck and I love it. But that's really actually only because I ran out of Alpha Brain black label. The reason that I like Black Label so much is it just has a couple different key ingredients. It has some nutritional mushrooms that actually help light up the brain. It also has different forms of choline and it has mucunipurians, which really taps into the dopamine system and really keeps me highly engaged, focused, and rewarded for the work that I'm doing. So Alpha Brain Black Label is just my absolute go-to. It's also really good as a mood enhancer. I just feel better when I'm taking it. And when my mood is better, I'm more productive and I'm able to be at my best. So if you guys haven't checked it out, please do. It is the shit. Also, the packaging is super sexy, so it's a great gift if you want to give it to somebody. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off everything at Onnit and also Alpha Brain Black Label. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Sean Chester. Sean Chester. Yes, sir. That name used to be a magical word when I would go to Vegas as a late 20s not that much money in my pocket and magic words like your name were important and i was always really grateful we had a mutual friend dave pappas who's also had a magic word as a name and uh it made magical things happen in vegas i mean you were deep in the belly of that beast mm -hmm. 
and there you were a legend and the legend as all legends had many stories in your case a lot of them were true (laughs) (laughs) and stories of stories of grandeur and stories of wow that's fucking intense you know it was like this this mixture of awe and nobody i talk to when i say your name they don't have like a little bit of a smile and a little (laughs) bit of a nod so tell us i want to start this story from the beginning because obviously i would have never expected that we would be right here on this podcast you and your beautiful wife just served me rape and you're there wearing your your medicine necklaces and bracelets because you've opened an ayahuasca center in colombia and i know that i was a integral part of that of that journey but i want to start from the beginning to give people this arc of where you began like how you got in i know you started off in you know kind of a rough louisiana cajun boy Mm -hmm. and then made your way to vegas and had this kind of meteoric rise to uh you know a very powerful position in vegas and then from there we'll talk about the transition but why don't you tell us the story about how you uh how you got into your former life well um I enjoyed uh, parts of Vegas as a young guy. <laughs> and uh, If you didn't enjoy parts of Vegas as a young guy, I don't know if we're friends. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. like some part of you needs to be able to go a little bit dark you yeah, know, for us to yeah, get along. Yeah. So uh, I started in, in Vegas. Uh, um, we have a, our mutual friend, Dave Pappas, and uh, Dave Pappas and I became friends um, in an awkward moment. Um, we almost went head to head <laughs> in a dark place and, uh, we decided it'd be much easier to be allies than enemies. Um, so Dave was working in the casinos and, um, so I was around that quite a bit. Uh, and then I started in the nightlife and, um, I <clears throat> opened a nightclub in the Bellagio, uh, as a host and, um, <clears throat> I found a niche for me uh, with guests, and, and my job was to uh, take these guests and, and show them the time of their life mm-hmm. for their period of time that they were there. And What was that club called in the Bellagio? Light. Light, Light. in the Bellagio. Light. For anybody Light. who has that old school Vegas, right. Vegas history, Light we'll, was, we'll was, bring people, we'll give them the names, we'll tell them where they've been and the integral part that you played in that. Light kicked it off. Yeah. I think that was the first real high-end bottle service type club, small. Um, but uh, I think that's where everything opened up. Uh, and pretty soon after you'd opened that, you got the attention of uh, Steve Wynn. Yes. Yeah. And so tell us tell us about how that how that went, and we're going to get into some we're going to get into some interesting stories about how that how that path. Well, Steve Wynn was a visionary, is a visionary. Um, he saw that uh, there was more to this business than than just the nightlife. And uh, we attracted customers, high-end customers for around the world that wanted a, a very personal experience, um, the entertainment, the nightlife, the, the hosting, and uh, really taking people and showing them the time of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, we built a beautiful nightclub inside of the wind called Trist. And uh, how much of a part of that, of the building of that, were you involved in? 
because I know you get deep into the design, you get deep into the entire experience. Were you already doing that at the point of Trist? Um, no, I, I just really got into it with Trist. I think yeah. I had a, as my evolution went, I had a much better understanding of where the comfort zone was for the customer, mm -hmm. <clears throat> learning how to make it a full night for their experience there, whether it was the height of the booths, the material, uh, adjusting the lighting so the place could still be dark, but you could still see each other. And, mm -hmm. um, Victor Dre had a lot to do with that. He was very good with design. and um, We changed all the lighting to amber lighting, and I think we were the first ones. So that way, even when the place was dark, you could still see the facial expressions on people. Um, so I learned a lot from everyone above me, mm -hmm. and I just picked up a little as I went. Um, and then I, I guess when it went to another level was when uh, Steve Wynn asked me if I wanted to go do the same thing in Macau, in China. Did you have anything to do with Excess as that was in, yes. in, in yeah. Encore as well? So I was in uh, Macau, China, doing the same thing, opening a nightclub in Macau. And at that time, we were also designing Excess. Mm -hmm. So we were doing uh, a little bit of both. Uh, Trist and Excess, they set like all the records for like clubs yeah like, worldwide yeah. right like does any i mean still to this day does any is anybody fucking with those clubs as far I mean, as like we, we were the first ones that went to actually <clears throat> having million million dollar nights when other clubs were hoping to get to a hundred thousand yeah so we were doing record numbers and that changed the landscape of vegas a bit as well because that's you know that's significant it's a hard those act are to significant follow. numbers yeah yeah yeah. And plus all of the ancillary revenue, everybody else who's coming in for the club, staying in the hotel to get in the club, yeah. all of these different activities. Our revenue became um, comparable to international marketing. And uh, international marketing in Vegas is the, is the money. That's, that's where all the, the big profit is for the casinos. And we, were, we started beating the profit of international marketing, meaning international gambling. Mm -hmm. So our, our club revenue profits were better than the gaming profits that's a big deal i mean vegas of all the places everywhere has kind of this interesting interesting vibe about them and when i was partying as much as i was back then you start to learn like what matters in a, in a different place like la it just mattered who you knew and if you had a name of some sort that was like that was the magic and uh Miami, it was how good looking you were, basically. Yeah, like that right, was the yeah. that was the idea. And in Vegas, it was like it was about the green. Yeah, it was yeah. about the money. I mean, obviously, all of those other things matter as well. But it really was a very simple system. The system was like money is money is king. Yeah, that's when the tables became twenty thousand a piece just to sit down. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you had customers spending a hundred thousand, then two hundred thousand, and and uh, it kind of became a competition amongst customers mm -hmm. who would be the biggest customer who would spend the much the most and uh we helped them yeah along that way <laughs> i know you did right? and so for me i didn't have anywhere anywhere near that money and you and dave would you know i i didn't have much to offer but me and dave became friends and he it was it was pretty remarkable actually i was out there you know entertaining some clients i was in investment banking at that point and I had some clients that I was out there with, and he saw me like a young guy. And he, I think he just recognized that I was doing what he would do if I was, you know, if, if he was my age and he appreciated that. He somehow caught me and he's like started a conversation. And he ended up, he had some kind of comp tab 
for uh, for a basketball player. I think it was, I don't know, Elton Brand or somebody like that. Yeah. He had a comp yeah. tab and he's like, look, I got this comp tab. I don't think he's going to use it. You want to go out and use it with me? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. So we just we just blew like, I don't know how much, five, 10 grand in the most obscene ways possible. And that was like my first intro. Like, holy shit. Like what you can do in Vegas is unbelievable. But Dave has a big heart and Dave always... Uh would find people he liked and even though we were dealing with the money we still enjoy good company and we wanted right. guys like us and we wanted to be around guys like us and, and people we like to enjoy ourselves also uh-huh. we were able to have fun <laughs> at the same time yeah so we could do our business and still have a good time and meet good people yeah and uh, and, and i did i met a lot of great people yeah how so you have you know you were the consummate gentleman always always like there taking care of people but you would also sometimes go fucking hard and this is where the dual reputation of sean chester developed was yeah he fucking handles his business he's on top of everything he's got everything dialed under control he can open any door do anything he's got your back and however he may continue <laughs> he may he may drop you off at your hotel and he may continue yeah. and you may not hear from him for a day once we put the the guests to sleep <laughs> um then we get started uh, our first gear came at 4 a.m <clears throat> maybe second uh, but yeah we we like to have a good time too and and the guests like that so we would take the guests to, <clears throat> it was nice to have them at the win and it was nice to show them a good time in our clubs, but if you really want to show someone a good time, you take them with you as your yeah. friend. Yeah. And so we developed a lot of friendships, and, um, and we would take these guests to the after hours and the after after hours. Uh huh. The and never then the one after that. <laughs> yeah. The the yeah. never ending the never ending yeah. train that Vegas Vegas offers. Also, the service that if you're taking somebody out on a night of debauchery and you're the most debaucherous. Well, they they don't feel so bad about themselves, <laughs> right, like right. well, relatively. I mean, I didn't go that hard. I mean, I went to bed at ten a.m. <laughs> it was pretty early. But, <laughs> uh, we made sure we brought people with us. We always had a helpers, yeah. A security. Yeah. So we would bring our own host to keep an eye on us, so mm. we could have a good time with our customers or with our guests and friends. Yeah. When I talk to, uh, I've talked to some people now in who've kind of settled into the Vegas scene and. They talk about the era where this was happening, and this was a little bit like because these clubs were new and because this whole phenomenon was new. You know, referring to it a little bit like the Wild West, like mm-hmm. things were things were wild mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was crazy. So, what was that? What was that like? Like, what were some of these experiences that were possible then that were just, you know, well, give people a window into that world? We became a little more than um, <clears throat> just club guys. Um, we worked with the hotels, we worked the marketing departments, we worked with all the other businesses. So, um, people would want our business and they would treat us good everywhere we went. So, uh, we were very well received in the restaurants or the mm-hmm. other properties. And, um, that's where we would have our fun and other people's properties. So we would <laughs> do our business in hours and handle it in a gentlemanly way. And, yeah. <clears throat> and then burn down someone else's place <laughs> and they would thank you for coming. And, uh, yeah. Have Monday morning, uh, Monday morning apology calls. Maybe <laughs> sending cases of glasses to one place, and maybe buying a chair in another. Uh huh. But we always try to do damage control. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Are there any are there any stories? And there's one story I want to get to in Macau, and I want to talk about that whole story because that seemed like a very intense period. But just from the Vegas days, are there any stories that come to mind about a night in particular that was pretty wild? I mean, I don't know where you want to go. I've I've heard of UFC fighters waking up in your garage. <laughs> I've heard of a lot of different things that have happened in these days. Is there any that uh, that you feel like would be worth sharing here? Hmm. I don't know if there's a particular story, but uh, certainly people would latch on as the night would go on. So you never knew who would end up um, in your circle. Mm -hmm. um, I can remember one night sitting in a dive bar <clears throat> or one morning and we had Suge Knight on one side of us and the Crips on the other side, <laughs> the Bloods, and like we're about to have a, a war in this dive bar. So we bought everybody pizza and about a hundred cheap beers, just kind of made friends. Yeah. So we tried to uh, tried to get everybody to form the tulpa. Then. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. There's a. I mean, one of the things that was a part of your whole seemed like your whole history is you would get in some scraps. Yeah, you you would get, you would get it. You're not afraid of a. You're not afraid of a scrap. No, not not really. We. Uh, <laughs> Had a lot of physical altercations. Well, it was rough because there's also a really um, rough element of Vegas. You still have your drug dealers and the pimps and yeah. um, the haters. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just kind of ran through all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Establish our ground. <laughs> So, it was like it was like prison rules slightly yeah, out there yeah, like yeah, for sure. and i think that's probably part of what steve saw in you is that you can handle your business but you could also withstand some some pressure yes you could withstand the heat yes you, know, you could yeah. count on you to throw you into a fire and, and he did and he did he did he did and macau was a fucking fire because yes. you're coming in as westerners on other people's turf mm -hmm. in that point so that is a very vulnerable position to be in. Yeah, and, that was a tough. And you tough were the t you sounded like the tip of the spear of that yeah. that operation out there. Well, we were his eyes and ears there, so we knew what was going on on the ground. Mm -hmm. When our job was to go to Hong Kong and and around Macau and to learn what's really happening, we it happened to us, <laughs> um, and, and we ran into some uh, some difficult times. Macau, you had Russians that ran part of it. You had uh, the triads ran the other part of it. And um, they hated Steve Wynn, you know, because he was the Westerner. And his uh, Stanley Ho was the opposite of Steve Wynn there. Stanley Ho had the monopoly on every casino in Macau until mm -hmm. Steve Wynn came in. Mm -hmm. And uh, that made it a little difficult for us. Mm -hmm. um, but we... We kind of figured out a way to do it, and <clears throat> what I did was call a meeting with all the bosses that supposedly hated us, and uh, I went to each one of them and gave them a personal invitation, and that was a hard, hard one sitting across the table from a guy that had uh, four security guards behind him, and all of them hated you. Yeah. Um, but I would go to them, and I sat with them, gave them an invitation, told them that uh, this was my job, I was here, I represented the Wynn and Steve Wynn, and this is what we're doing, so they can either accept it or not. But. <laughs> was there, I mean, was there a moment where you had that kind of like cup check where you're like, fucking A, like I really don't want to do this. There were a few moments where, <laughs> <clears throat> there were a few moments where uh, 
I might have had tears on a pillow saying, <laughs> oh boy, you know, uh, I don't think I'm going to make it out of this. I really didn't think I would make it out of there. Um, but I'd go back in and and uh, get back in the mix. And I uh, I told these guys, though, that uh, I'll be their best customer. Yeah. So if they can be friends with us, that they'll see that I'll be their best customer and I'll bring business to them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I started to do. Yeah. And at that point, we started kind of forming a bond with the guys that didn't like us because we brought them more business than they had themselves. And our mission was not to take any of the business out of Macau. So our whole business was bringing business to Macau. Mm-hmm. And um, we really liked Macau. We liked the people of Macau. And so once we started really bringing in business and then taking them around town and sharing the business, we started getting along very well. Yeah. All right. So we got to go to this story that you told me a long time ago that we uh, we talked a moment about it. But you told me about this very wild experience you had with some Russians. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to let you I'm just going to let you tell this story without giving the giving the summary of it. But this blew my fucking mind when I heard it. And now that, you know, 10 or whatever, how many years and we've both experienced a lot of the same medicine since then. And so let's talk about this experience, because as much ayahuasca as we both drank, as much of that, this sounded like a really unique thing that I have not heard anybody else talk about. So this was a, an experience definitely I'll never forget. Um, but I was in a Russian club one night, and um, I, the Russians test you a lot, and um, they, they try to scare you a little. Um, <laughs> So I caught myself in the club, and, and I was by myself now at this point with the, the uh, I guess, the head Russian guy. And um, he had uh, girls and, and a lot of people around, and um, they started giving me stuff, right? Putting stuff in my mouth or in my drink and, and just drugged me out, whatever it was. Just, <laughs> just took, me, took me out, and then they carried me out of a club, and... I found myself in a car driving out of Macau across the bridge and uh, I woke up in a hotel room with the the Russian boss next to me and there were some other people in the room and um, they were kind of questioning me and uh, it was pretty difficult but then... Um, Did you think you were going to die? I, I At that point I was um, out of it enough to where it just didn't matter. I, I just was... <laughs> I was just trying to stay stay up. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty intense moment, especially with the other people there, because they weren't be- they weren't friendly. They weren't being mean, but they were there to watch. Yeah. And uh, they were they were kind of circled us around us. But the Russian guy was kind of out of it too, and um, so he would ask me questions, and other people would ask me questions, and for whatever reason, the the Russian boss and I kind of connected. We we uh, we started appreciating each appreciating each other a little, um, and then they passed something around, and, and I wasn't sure if I sniffed it or if it was in my drink, but it was something uh, extremely intense, and uh, I found myself pulling G's in the chair, and um, so if you, it was the sensation of being in G forces, like yes, someone's like, been on uh, like a. I had no idea. I've never felt anything like this. Like I, yeah. I can remember holding the bottom of my chair, like a rocket, and and trying to hold myself in the chair, and it just felt like I was going a thousand miles an hour, 
And, uh, and when I stopped, I was no longer in that room. And uh, I was sitting at a, a long table, long on each side. And the Russian guy was across from me, and there were other men that, that I could see uh, on this table. And him and I had very deep conversation. And um, it lasted quite a while. And then uh, when I came out of that, we were back in the hotel room. And he started repeating to me the conversation that we had there. And um, I had no idea what was going on at this point. It was very <laughs> tough. I'm like, wait, we were just talking there. And he repeated everything. And, and then he talked about what we talked about. And then um, they would give you a break. And you would sit there and just kind of sit in your chair and relax. And then they would come and pass something around. And they would give you a Corona just to sip. And then next thing you know, you go back in. And um, I'd be back at that table. And then the Russian guy and I would start having conversations again. I can remember he told me um, about a club he wanted to design. <clears throat> he was telling me about how he wanted uh, beautiful paintings on the wall, things by Michelangelo, and, and he would go over the paintings that he wanted the wall to look like. Mm -hmm. And he would uh, talk to me about it, and, and I could see him, his hand do this, and I'd see the wall come up. And, and we were basically designing this property together. And... Um, everything that he would do, he could make the wall smaller, bigger. And so we were looking at him designing this property. And then we came out of it. We're back in the chairs in the hotel room. And then I'd talk to him about the night, about the club he just designed. And he was so happy because we were fully communicating on this other side. Yeah. Um, God, it, it went on forever. It went on a long time. Um, and, uh, when it was all over with, I think they left me in the room and I woke up maybe a day later and there was one person in the room that was just left there to keep an eye on me. And uh, I got out of this place and, and found a taxi and made it back to the Wynn. And they were worried. I've been gone for days. <laughs> and uh, everyone was worried something happened. <clears throat> it took me about a week. This, I stayed in my room for about a week. I didn't want to get out. Even had one of my buddies sleep in my bed with me for a couple of <laughs> nights. Like, man, I, I don't know what just happened, but um, that was very intense. And so after about a week, I, I came back to it and I went straight to the Russians club and I sat with them. We had a drink together and left and, and uh, they never, never messed with me after that. We kind of wow. just became okay. So this, I mean, what you're describing, first of all, seems like a, <clears throat> it's like a magical technology basically like a, some kind of some kind of medicine drug concoction he that said that he got it from the um the, the chinese boss and mm -hmm. the triad boss and uh the triad boss did this to him and uh he said that there is a society there's a society of men and that's how they have their conversation is is through this type of drug or and or it allows you to enter a shared space and i guess what you would call the astral it's like a, an actual location which is like this shared space and very conscious space, there yeah like in my body i was out and over there very clear very conscious we we had real discussion spoke of our fathers spoke of our childhoods we spoke in in great depth of of feelings you couldn't help it yeah. You, you, there was no lying involved. It was all 
honest emotion and honest conversation. That's actually where we bonded. Yeah. Doing that. I mean, okay, so now we've done, since subsequently you've done a lot of ayahuasca, we've been to a lot of places. I've never, I've never encountered anything like that place with mm. this thing. I mean, but you hear, you hear about shared vision spaces where people can get in. And I think I've had some kind of, kind of same things happening, but nothing that's even close to this lucid and nothing that even seems like this story. If you, you know, if you take this story in, it shifts your paradigm of what you think is possible in the non-physical dimension exchange, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. something else is possible. I think it shifted something in me. It, it opened something in me. It was uh, certainly an experience that um, opened a door that yeah, I think about still sometimes because it has made it easier for me now to go deep into another space. Yeah. Because I feel like I've already been through a pretty tough door. Um, I've tried to ask what it was, and, <laughs> and they would never give me an answer, never tell me anything what it was. Yeah you could visit but you weren't a member <laughs> right i guess yeah uh and that also just speaks to this idea that wow no actually there really are special technologies and special mystery schools that exist mm -hmm. and amongst different people like this is a this is a real phenomenon where there's some real shit that's happening out there yes that we're not aware of that we're yes. not privy of that's not going to be written about in the latest maps newsletter mm -hmm. you know it's there's some stuff that exists still. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a very small uh, percentage of people that, that are brought into that and, yeah. and able, to, um, able to actually maintain enough to, to function right. in that space. Right. Yeah. Well, you were the right person for the job. I was, <laughs> You've been training for that moment yeah. your whole life. Yeah, I started enjoying it. It was so fascinating. <laughs> I was like, I okay, well, I, I remember uh, maybe the third time. He says, okay, put your seatbelt on. And I remember I was looking for it. I, I was sitting in a chair and I was trying to find my seatbelt. I was like, oh, I have to hurry and put my seatbelt on before it starts again. And you know, obviously I didn't have one, but I would just hold the bottom of my chair and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> and we'll be there. Wow. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> at a certain point, I could sense that you were ready to leave this world behind. Things were starting to change in Vegas. You were starting to, there was some reason that I decided that, you know what, I'm going to invite you to go see Don Howard mm -hmm. down in, uh, down in Peru. Mm -hmm. And you said, yes. And I remember you had a little apprehension, you know, you were used to a different, whole different kind of world, but you went in as you do with like full effort, full heart, full intensity. Mm -hmm. And we had just a phenomenal experience down there. And I think that time it was just Wachuma, right? Mm -hmm. So we experienced the Wachuma Masada with, uh, with Don Howard. And that's what kind of started this, this medicine journey for you, right? Definitely. That made a big difference in my life. <clears throat> it was immediate that um, I was already on uh, my personal searcher journey, which I didn't know what it was. Um, I left Vegas and... <clears throat> I was ready to leave Vegas. I, I needed to see what more there was in life. And I feel like I needed to find out truthfully uh, who I was and who I could be versus the character that I was so used to um, playing. It, it almost became to where it wasn't me anymore. It was a character that I had to continue with. Yep. And um, 
I wanted to break free of the character, and I was willing to do what it took to break free. And I think the time that we first spent with Don Howard um, allowed me to really go into myself and start making some decisions. And my decision was that uh, I was going to find the truth. So to find that truth, I had to um, get through a lot of um, a hardened shell that I had created. Mm -hmm. So the challenge was getting through that shell. Uh, and I had a suit of armor, yeah. but the armor was on the wrong side. Yeah. Right? So, What's the emotion that comes up when you think about that? It was very difficult. It was very hard. It was very, <clears throat> very honest. Um, I think when you start that search, and um, there was an honesty and a purity to it that I wanted to continue, and I, mm -hmm. I wanted to feel, <clears throat> and I knew I had a lot to clean out to be able to get to that, and. Um, it wasn't soft, it wasn't pretty, it was dark and it was hard. Um, so I, the emotion that I feel, um, one is honor and, and pride and peace and happiness because I um, made the commitment to do it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it's and I have never thing. stopped. Right? It's a courageous thing to face the shadow yeah. full on. It was wonderful. It's a yeah. challenge. <laughs> yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> and then it got just harder. Mm -hmm. Got harder. And uh, so I remember at Don Howard's, I went back and, and uh, had the ayahuasca, and, and Don Howard gave me some hard talks. And um, I, I wanted to continue. And then I decided uh, I, I would look at Don Robert and I would say, okay, where does he go? Right? I started wondering where, mm -hmm. how far does this go? Um, I want to go there. Well, let's, before you go to the next, your next stop in the jungle, you told a story about something that happened at Spirit Quest that I'd never heard. And I knew Don Howard well, and we talked a lot. And even, and I asked him about it. And this was a very unique situation where apparently, according to both you and Don Howard, as my recollection serves, it was maybe like the third ceremony night or something like that, uh, third out of four. They, you know, one cup of ayahuasca was getting you some work done, but they saw that you needed, and maybe you asked for it, I don't know exactly how it went, but that you needed a particularly strong dose in the middle of the room, which was described as something akin to an exorcism. Mm -hmm. And and I say that with all with all you know I don't even believe in the actual exorcism like you see in the fucking movies right, with the priest right, and all right. the all of the nonsense and that it's an outside demon that comes in and there's mm -hmm. an outside demon that was there none of that shit but an exorcism is where you're really releasing a lot of the energy that you've compacted into your system mm -hmm. and that energy um, you could you could externalize it and anthropomorphize it as some other being, but it's really like your energy. This is my understanding. It's your energy. Mm -hmm. It's in there. And you had accumulated that energy from all of the experiences you'd had. Maybe you carried some of that with you. Maybe some of that was through your epigenetic lineage and maybe whatever. However it was, you had a lot. Enough so that I remember one night we were in Austin 
and you were hanging out with a buddy that had just got out of prison that he just got out of prison and he was like i was just in prison and i never saw anything like sean chester <laughs> like, like he saw you and he's like that guy that guy holy shit <laughs> so there was there was some there was some depth to the shadow that you that was inside of you and so Dom Robert and Don Howard brought you to the center of the Maloka. And why don't you tell the story of what happened there that night for you? Yeah. Um, I, I think there was this, I could feel it in me. Um, there was a, an energy that I had protected, I would say, right? It was, it was a darkness that I maybe became very comfortable with and that I was ready for it to leave. And I was truly ready for it to leave and I couldn't couldn't get it out. It was attached to me. I could feel it in my body. Mm -hmm. It was hard. Um, it was like a stone, like a big stone just stuck inside of me, very comfortable that I had protected for a my long time. My pet demon. <laughs> it, it was my own. I held it. It was mine. And uh, I think I had it for a long time. And at that moment, I was I was committed to, to getting it out. And uh, boy, they helped me. I think it was maybe three cups. And three cups of the Don Robert, Don Howard brew is, it's heavy. Yeah, it was heavy. That's and, heavy. Uh, I still couldn't vomit. I, I wouldn't vomit. I couldn't poop. I couldn't do anything to get no it out. No purge. Until they went to work. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and they were like surgeons on me. And I could feel it starting to move. And all I wanted to do was get it out. And I was just um, hoping and, and pushing and, and fighting and pulling and, um, and, and wanting it out. And... Um, I think we got a piece of it. <laughs> I think we definitely got a chunk of it in that ceremony, and that's when I knew it's it's time to go. Well, that that was that was more. I mean, that's a very that's a euphemism for what the story is that happened. Apparently, people saw some shit that came out of you at that mm -hmm. point. That's like, what I hear. Yes, <laughs> like many people report, like because they were watching this as a spectacle. You got, you know, this is unusual. You're in the center of the mud. No, it happens. You know, like they sometimes will do healings, the chupar, which is like the sucking healing, and the, there's sometimes different healings that'll go on in the center, different from the outside healings, the bentiadas that happen in the perimeter. Occasionally, someone would be drawn to the middle. Rare though, but anyways, it draws your attention when that's happening. And you're in there, and I talked to some other people in the circle, and they said they they saw something leave your body. It left. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was real. Yeah. So <clears throat> whatever that is, um, that little friend of energy that I <laughs> yeah. decided to be friends with for way too long, um, we no longer were friends. <laughs> and um, yeah, I I could feel it come yeah. out. Yeah. And um, it was very difficult. It's very hard, but I was so committed and so open. That was when I knew uh, I, I understood what focus was becoming and how to uh, truly become in control over myself and my mind and my body. I knew that it was time, and I, I felt that I was built for it. I felt that I had the strength to do it, and, and it came out, and it, it was something pretty extraordinary for me. Yeah. And um, after that happened, though, that's when I knew for me it was time to go deeper. I needed to go away from this being the spectacle with, with other right, people there. Right. And I needed to do some, um, some private journeys because if that was able to do that under those circumstances, then how far could I go and where, where is the end of this? Uh -huh. 
there's no end of this. But no, yeah, I yeah. Found so out it later, took right? you deeper, deeper <laughs> right. into the deeper into the jungle. But that's when I started. And so, for people who want to understand this in a way, I mean, the way that you, the way that this energy works is, you become a vessel that's no longer suitable for the darkness, mm-hmm. as far as I understand it. And and so the pushing of, whenever they're blowing smoke into you or they're doing something like that, they're they're pushing enough positive energy, enough light, enough love that your vessel becomes unsuitable for the darkness. You know, so it's like a splinter that's getting pushed out of a healthy. At the same time, skin. you have to do it too. I, I found what they're doing is is um, also making me comfortable enough, but I have to do the work. Sure, no one was going to do that for me. I could figure that out. Sure, I could feel that, and so as 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 much as it was difficult emotionally. In my mind, it was very physically difficult also. Um, but you start to feel it budge a hair, and you know you're on to something, mm-hmm. right? And so if it can move a hair, then it can get out. Yeah. And uh, If and it so bleeds, that, we can kill it. Right. <laughs> and I knew it, and I felt a little excitement there. And, and I'm, a, I'm a, you know, this little private warrior there. I'm like, okay, it's on. This oh, yeah. Is, like, I can, I can, this is my next battle, oh, and yeah. I got you. Yeah. Uh, you're nothing. Yeah. So uh, we went to we went to war and we went to battle. Yeah. And so, all right. So you leave that, and then you're like, all right, I'm gonna go in. I'm going even deeper, deeper, deeper into the jungle. And you wound up with uh, a shaman who I was aware of some of his lineage because. So I'll just tell this story, and you can tell you know where you arrived and what your experience was there. But so Don Julio was spoken about in as an absolute legend from Maestro Alberto and Maestro Hamilton, who, you know, I became good friends with Hamilton, who had worked and trained under Alberto and Julio. And, you know, Julio is referred to, it's, he was like Yoda. I mean, like the way they talk about him, like full eyes open, shape-shifting, whether you're on medicine or not, could turn into a jaguar, could like, the legends about this man are epic. And Julio, Alberto, Hamilton, their lineage was about really healing and reversing the hexes and curses of bad curanderos, bad ayahuasqueros, bad, we say bad, but the ones that had hurt people, mm-hmm. you know, and they they made, that was kind of their jam. They were like the the gunfighters. They were like Billy the Kid and mm-hmm. fucking Doc Holliday out mm-hmm. there. And anybody who'd been fucked up would go see Don Julio deep in the jungle and Alberto, and then they would reverse whatever bad magic was there, confront the confront the shamans who hexed the person or put out the bad magic. And again, I know this sounds fantastical, but these are the stories. And then they would have a shaman's duel, you know, have a battle, and then they were they were Billy the Kid and Doc Holliday. They would fuck everybody up, mm-hmm. and then heal people, cure them. But they also they also had this kind of like interesting like yeah we're here like we're we're gunfighters you know for good the gunfighters mm-hmm. for for good gunfighters for God whatever you want to say but they had that kind of like this is this is our specialty so anyways they passed that down and did some amazing work Alberto himself is a fucking wizard I mean I I was in ceremony with him I heard him sing an Icaro to the bats and saw the bats swirling around the maloca like literally was was like one of those beast master mm-hmm. spells where he was like the and there and the other shamans were laughing like yeah these are alberto's bats whenever he sings his ikaro they come around he could sing the cicadas up into resonance with the ikaro sing them down the frequency matters he was like he was a master just an absolute master 
and uh, always just the biggest barrel laugh and i always say like you can tell a spiritual master by the sound of their laughter mm-hmm. you know because if you don't if you're not if you're not laughing you don't fucking get it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right, what i mean right so so absolute reverence for that whole lineage but on another offshoot of that lineage was julio's grandson well julio uh, was old yeah right and um what happened at the end of julio's life was that uh, the jungle became very dark around julio because um, other shamans wanted to kill him. Yeah, and the idea was that they could take his magic right. if they killed him. So his grandson, Hiro, took him into the jungle and hid him, and hid him in a little cabin. And I actually got to see this cabin after they burned it down, uh, but hid him in a cabin until his death. <clears throat> after his death, it was Hiro that was with him, and Hiro took on his his energy his magic mm-hmm. and hiro was who i went and visited mm-hmm. yeah um really strong ceremony it was definitely uh it's deep about i told you 15 hours down the amazon from Iquitos. from Iquitos. 15 so hours Iquitos is hard to get to long already. ride there's no cars to go to Iquitos. you right. have to fly in or travel by boat down the amazon river yeah we take a boat 15 hours down the amazon from Iquitos. Um, from Iquitos. And then you get dropped off in a little village, and then they picked us up in little tiny boats and took us about another two hours uh, into the jungle. And um, that's where Hiro lives. And uh, he lives uh, in the Matsis community. So the Matsis tribe have the tattoos across their mouth, and they're Mm -hmm. the frog specialists. Uh, But that's where he was. And so you took your stint doing some work down there with Hiro, a lot of purging. Yeah, and there was uh, also another guy there, another shaman, and, and that's, that was my first experience of the dark magic, which mm-hmm. I didn't know. Um, so I did a, several ceremonies with Hiro, and then another shaman was there, invited me to do a ceremony, and that's where I learned, don't just go with a, <laughs> any shaman to do a ceremony, because some weird books came out, and I was like, oh man, what am I in for, right? Um, and then uh, I sat through my first dark ceremony, which... Um, I think kind of became my training uh-huh. and, and uh, for me it felt good actually because I started feeling um, in in control um, I could I could uh, nothing was able to enter me or come at me uh, which they tried mm-hmm. and um, I could feel darkness like the Russians testing you <clears throat> I already got it out yeah, because for that, you know, really so much is energy and resonance and frequency, right? Like yes. if you don't have that darkness in you, I think that's why people get afraid. Like the fear is actually the conduit itself. Mm-hmm. You know, you know who's never been cursed? Someone drinking Budweiser on their front porch. You know, I was like, fuck you. What are you doing? Go fuck yourself, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because they'd have no belief that yes. it's possible and there's nothing that nothing to attach to in that. So mm-hmm. really like if you can keep your energy body strong, and just stay away from fear as the as the prime illness of our world stay away from fear mm-hmm. stay in love like you're good yeah. you're good you're good that, that's when i first started um feeling my own personal um strength in this um ayahuasca realm mm-hmm. like my role um it felt different i felt like uh um I felt like I was in training mm. somewhat. And um, my training was to uh, 
strengthen myself and continue strengthening myself uh, for the good. It started making a difference. Um, and with that triggers action and action items. So with the gift of passing through that ceremony, I knew I had to clean up in other ways. And the more that I was able to um, do it, every time I could do an action item, more would come to me. And mm -hmm. I would strengthen and I would go further. Um, and, and it started triggering something. It was one after another. As long as I did what I was supposed to do, more would open. And you have a very cool way that you look at integration. I think very a lot of times people get this really kind of etheric, fluffy idea of integration, like, you know, continue not eating salt or whatever thing you're doing and, you know, pray a little bit and whatever. And for you, yeah, 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 go for it. Stay on your diet, stay on your dieta, do all the things. But what did you learn and what the fuck are you going to do about it? Like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's get, let's get real here. Let's get like tangible. Yeah. Let's figure out what what you're really going to take from this and what if the medicine told you to do something fucking do it yeah fucking do it yes no just, just stop asking questions yeah. just do it that's when i started learning about focus and concentration <clears throat> getting precise in the ceremony um, the more you get precise like an arrow um, you shoot through all the mess and um, when you're able to shoot through the mess that's when uh, i think that you really start finding your center in your own personal universe. And if you can get to the center in your own personal universe, and if you can just get there once, it gives you enough of a feeling to where you know that, that you, you have to continue that mm -hmm. because it's working. What you're doing is working. It matters. You're, you're cleaning more than your body and your mind. You're cleaning your soul. Yeah. I've had messages on medicine before, and a lot of, a lot of them I follow. You know, I mean, this whole, we're in on it headquarters right now. And ayahuasca played a very key role. My first sits with Maestro Orlando. Uh, I saw exactly what on it could become. And I saw the action items that I needed to take to make that happen, right? And that was such a gift. And mm -hmm. I followed instructions. Right. And here we are. And yeah. it was, what, a, what a beautiful thing for the world, for me, for my family, for generations to come, whatever. Like this is, this is a very powerful thing. But there's other times I can think back to to clear messages that I got. I, I got the clearest message that I needed to go take a walking trip from the bush somewhere in Australia to Uluru, to Ayers Rock. I needed to take a walking pilgrimage. And it was like crystal clear. And I'm looking like, well, fuck, how do I do that? It doesn't seem comfortable. I don't even <laughs> like camping. Like, what, what, what am I doing? You know, so I, I didn't. It's never eat. comfortable. <laughs> no, okay. I know. And I, I think about that because the time has passed. I'm not getting continued messages. That was the thing that, and I wonder like, and, and, it's, and I do have like a little bit of regret. And I know life is a forking path. There's a million ways and I have a million chances to come at the same thing a different way. But that's the one, that's the one thing that I think about. And there's been other little things that I've ignored, other things that I've followed and, but that's the one that sticks out to me of like, if I really trusted the medicine, I would have just cleared the space, dropped everything and said, sorry, everybody, I'm going on a walking trip to Uluru and I'll see you later. You know, and, and I, I wonder like, huh, what would have happened? I mean, I'm so grateful for my life and it's not like I'm saying like, ah, I'm, this is a bad, bad thing that happened, but I'm just curious about, about if I would have listened. And, uh, and it, maybe, the, maybe the lesson there is, just listen so you don't have to wonder you know like if you get something really clear and it's really feels grounded then 
just say yes. Yeah, I think it's hard to question yourself when you're moves. I think uh, in this process, you learn that um, you do what you can, and every move is the right move, and then you focus on that next move. Yeah. Um, There certainly is things that we want to do and we should do that we don't do, but I don't think it has any effect or change up on our lives because we're still living it, and uh, every move we make is is important. Mm -hmm. Um, The next one is important. Um, so it's okay for your walk. <laughs> Thanks, man. I think you're Thanks. Right. I feel good. I feel better. You'll be about fine. That. You'll be fine. Thank you. You'll yeah, be fine. I appreciate that. All right. So your next move from from that deep jungle in Peru, you linked up with uh, with someone who was there, and they yeah. took you from Peru, which is ayahuasca, into Colombia, which is also ayahuasca, but they call it yahe, and it's a little bit different. Yes. And the shamans are called taitas, and yeah. it's a different program down there. Yeah. And that that's kind of the introduction to getting you to the place where you are now. And we'll get there. But so, what was your experience like going from the Peruvian tradition into the Colombian tradition? Mm, it was very different. Um, it was nice. Um, and, and the guy that I became friends with, he's my right hand now. Um, he's my my brother and my friend, and. Uh, um, he's a teacher. He, he's a um, Taita apprentice, and he's as good as any Taita already. A young guy, but he's he's true to it. And um, he introduced me to Taita Silvino Chindoy of the Inga community. And um, we had messaging back and forth with Taita Silvino when I was in Las Vegas. And uh, Taita Silvino invited me to come out and spend a month with him. And um, he asked one thing of me, if that uh, I would come and spend time with him, if I would take what I learned back to the Western world. And that sounded very cool at the time. It was fun. I was like, yeah, of course, of course. Um, so I went to Colombia. <clears throat> and um, I want to just pause here for one second, because there's a lot of people that will assume that all of these medicine carriers are mad that the medicine is being shared with the world but everyone that i've talked to from the quechua tradition to the shipibo tradition and it sounds like from this inga tradition they recognize that we're in a new era of a global world where everybody can fuck up everything for everyone mm-hmm. this is not a time to be like well my tribe's going to be going to win because i got this medicine and i'm going to protect it like right. the but, whole world needs to heal or we're all fucked yeah there's no competition there they it's it's like that game as that game was for an era that is long past we're in a new era now where the world needs medicine they want to teach you and they want to offer it they want to show you the respect they they want you to respect the medicine and uh, for them, as many people that can get to the medicine is uh, means a better energy and a better life on the planet. It's yeah. better for the earth. Yeah, and and you know, it now more than ever, and as we're seeing, like mm-hmm. we we need all the help we can get. And I'm not trying to speak for all First Nations and Indigenous people. I'm sure some, you know, don't agree with that, and I and I absolutely respect that. They have also every right to be pissed off by all of the colonization and all of the mm-hmm. bullshit that they've had to deal with. Like, I get it. All your rage is sacred and deserved and fully understand. Yes. And like, please, like we need the wisdom that you've carried. We all do. And it needs to reach through everybody that's mm-hmm. making all these crazy fucking decisions, you know, like creating $8 trillion or $6 trillion and then fucking frittering it away when that's the resources that we need to create an entire new global system of education and food supplies and water and and awareness that could actually bring our entire planet into coherence 
we're not making those fucking decisions, but you know, the medicine and in my opinion plays a key role in helping bring people to this unified kind of understanding of we all share a fucking home, everyone. Like everybody matters. Well, people are being pulled further and further away from Mother Earth, from the original human. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think um people are so far disconnected from who they're really supposed to be, uh, whether it be the confusion going on through media, through politics, through all the craziness that's going on. All it's doing is pulling people further and further away from who they truly are. I think it's clouding people's minds, it's clouding their souls, it's it's confusion. And I think one thing that the medicine offers in that all the titans, all the communities understand is um, the offer is clarity. And if you're serious about it, you'll get clarity and, and that pulls you closer to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, we're from nature. This is where we were born. This is we're part of it. Yeah. No matter what fucking penthouse you get on a skyscraper, forty-five floors up. Guess what? You're still part of Earth, and That's you're right. going back there. That's right. I don't care if you get burned, or I don't care if you put yourself in a coffin. You're fucking going back yes. home, you one will, way or another. You will Sorry, recycle. You, you will. are going to be recycled. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. We're all in that future recycle bin. Yeah. Like, sorry. Yes. That's true. Like some people are trying to delay it by fucking cryo freezing them. Good luck. Like, yeah, good luck. Like you're gonna go out and die from this body and be like, man, really want to go back in that frozen motherfucker that I yeah, poisoned well, for. It may 40 not be today. Years. It may be a hundred years from now, but you will be recycled. <laughs> like let go. It's fine. Yeah, you get a new it's one. It's okay. It's great. It's okay. We've died a lot of times. Exactly. It's not so bad. <laughs> pretty nice actually yeah it's lovely there it's, it's lovely it yeah nice. i like i like being aubrey aubrey's great uh-huh. you know but next one will be awesome right. too right i gotta i gotta deal with vilana that she's gonna come in and in a different body next time and mm-hmm. you know so fucking mm-hmm. we're good mm-hmm. we're good all right so you start the work with the eye yes so tell us give us like for people because i i've just been honestly learning about the difference because i've only worked with uh traditional peruvian i've worked with shipibo quechua and mestizo so all the three major peruvian traditions and then i've worked with um you know fr- kind of brazilian influenced mm-hmm. traditions as well which was very cool there's mm-hmm. drumming and there's like there's a whole different experience mm-hmm. in the in the brazilian tradition but never the colombian so well the it, it's very much different than the peruvian style <clears throat> the ceremonies go through the entire night um God, the medicine is strong. Medicine is strong. You know, the further you go into the jungle, the stronger ayahuasca gets, um, the stronger the experience gets. But uh, the experience is quite a bit different. It's um, through to sunrise. Um, generally, there's always a second cup. So for, for contrast, in the traditions that I'm a part of, you drink around 7, 8 p.m. after dark. You go, and then the you know, four or five hours, sometimes up to six, but rarely, rarely that long. And then the, they'll light like a candle in the center of the room. It'll go from darkness. The shamans will say goodnight after they've done their bentiadas, their clearings and all the prayers. And you can stay in the maloca if you want. And some people do stay there, but the ceremony is officially over. Yeah. So we're, we're hitting second gear. <laughs> which is the way you like it. Which is what Just I was attracted to. Like it. I'm like, okay. No wonder you right, like right, the Yahi right. tradition. There's a lot of old me that still uh, <laughs> is able to respect the new me. Uh-huh. Um, there was a lot of training there. So even through the darkness of the times, it's been allowed um, to give me what I need to do the right thing now. Um, 
So I, I do like the all-night ceremonies. I find that you go uh, even deeper when others are finished with the ceremony. Uh, we go in, in, in spats. So the first hour is one thing after your cup. That's when you have your most uh, intense experience at, at that moment of getting pulled into the realm. Um, and then you'll climb out of your hammock, and go do a cleansing. We do a lot of cleansings, Ortega cleansings. and, um, and uh, Ortega cleansings, explain that, because that sounds like something I would not enjoy. Well, I think that you would, okay, because uh, it, <laughs> Maybe it's, I a, would. it's a pretty special moment. The, the Ortega, also known as the stinging nettle, is a, is a plant with spikes on it. It's pretty long spikes. And um, they do a cleansing with you with these, this plant. So they're sticking this in you. They're hitting you with it. They're dragging it across you. Uh, but what the plant does is the plant's one of the most nutritious plants in the jungle. It's filled with tons of nutrients, vitamins. It's an anti-inflammatory. So physically, you're feeling the sting of the, of the plant. But when it's over, your body just feels heavenly. You feel wonderful. You, you, um, you lay in your hammock and you, you have a whole, you, you've just been refreshed, revived. Um, and then after that point, we'll hit a second cup. Mm -hmm. So once you finish your first cup and you finish the intensity, maybe you have a vomit, um, poop, whatever that is, you'll have a cleansing. And then once you start feeling totally good again, it's time to go back. And when we go back for the second cup, that's when we practice no vomit. Um, and you allow the, the medicine to marinate inside of you. And when you do this, it's, um, it's a different effect than the first cup. Um, the first cup is very, can be very intense, and, and it's kind of pulling you in. The second cup is slow and hard, so it feels very heavy on you. Um, you really have to pay attention to your breathing. But as it goes, it gets heavier and heavier. And if you can maintain your composure and um, focus, that's when you'll really start to have vision and clarity and, mm -hmm. and because you're so cleaned out from the, from the first several hours at this point, your body's totally ready to accept. Um, and we'll sit through that maybe a couple of hours and then the music starts. And when the music starts, we, we party and we yeah. celebrate. We yeah. celebrate the night. Um, the musicians are very serious. They're not just your campfire. Guys, they take their, each note very serious. They take their voice serious, um, and um, they sing to the medicine. That's their job. Their role is to play this music, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. I yep. mean, it is, it is wonderful. And we play the music to sunrise, and then maybe another cleansing at sunrise, but it's an all-night affair. There's, there's no sleep. There's a, <clears throat> there's a phenomenon that's, occurring now with me with ayahuasca that's it's giving me the very limit of what i'm capable of withstanding and i don't know if it's because i'm able to receive more than i used to or whether maybe i have more to clean than i i don't know why this is but it feels like the metaphor that i use is i'm 120 watt light bulb and there's about 600 watts that are getting pushed through me and it's like how the fuck am i going to deal with this and it's not always some i mean i'll purge sometimes but it's not that it's just the energy's the energy's so strong that it's like dealing with it and i recognize that in in periods of focus where i can just bear it where i can choose to just hold it it just goes deeper and deeper mm -hmm. and deeper and it's like more and more and it's so it's 
infinitely more beautiful and hard mm-hmm. at every different layer of depth. And then finally, like, I'll go as long as I can, surrender deeper, <sighs> surrender deeper, deeper, deeper. And it's fucking straight through my eyes, like into my brain, into my heart. It's working like magic mm-hmm. is happening. And then I'll be like, fuck, too much, too much. And I'll breathe and I'll shake or I'll shake or I'll like move the energy or start speaking in fucking insectoid language and move some of it out of my body. But I recognize that if there was, if I, if I can, I'm using this kind of like a a grindstone to sharpen my sword Mm -hmm. in a way, you know, it's like the the more I, I, the more I can, the more I can sit with it, the more magical it becomes. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like this is a deep, like intentional part of this yahe practice yeah so um what i started being able to do was uh, the more practice i got um, either with guests or with others um, i started going to certain taitas myself so i do my own personal retreats and i started uh, customizing my retreat retreats i needed to learn where my limit was what my timing is between first and second cup is it a second or a third cup are there times that um, I need it stronger than others? Um, for me, it's been a a training and a test. Um, where is my sweet spot uh, for me? So um, I've learned to kind of customize my own retreats that are very, very, very difficult. Um, but again, just as you said, it goes deeper and deeper, and it's a matter of how deep you want to go. And, and um, I'm okay with it not having a bottom. <laughs> Uh, because the further I go, the more I learn, and I feel like uh, it makes a difference in my human life because I'm able to really get deep and clean out what I need to clean out, um, focus very clear on what I need to bring back in. So I feel the deeper I go, the more room I allow for the good stuff to come in. Yeah. As long as I focus on the good stuff coming in, I'm making room inside of myself. And, um, and there's where I get action items. Mm-hmm. So when I get these action items, um, I think about them. And after the ceremony's over, I sit by the fire and I go over these action items in my head. I have to do this. Sometimes um, I'll write a note to my wife on, mm-hmm. the, um, on my phone about, about the action items. And um, it's a gift to me to allow me to go so deep and to be able to maintain my composure because it is hard and it is very hard work. Um, But it's making a difference in my life and not just that, it makes a difference now for me um, in the business I'm doing and as a guide because I've been able to test myself and I know where my limits are. Therefore, when I'm sharing with you, I, I really understand you well, whether you're a new person or whether you have experience. I can kind of understand where you are at the moment of where you are. And it helps me um, not only keep an eye on you, but to help form that energy and and that strength and hold that ground for you. And I think it's helping my guests. um, The more that I can learn and the more that I can strengthen myself, it's the more that I can give back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You have to have a very interesting relationship with fear at this Mm -hmm. point because... The principal fears, as I see them, is fear of death. And obviously ayahuasca is called the vine of death or the vine of souls for the reason that it usually has you confronting your biggest fear, which Mm -hmm. is the fear of death. Mm -hmm. So that, and as you said, you die many times (laughs) in ayahuasca. That was my very first experience. I died in every possible way. Mm -hmm. And 
except for the actual literal death. Um, But then there's also the fear of suffering. Mm -hmm. Like fear of suffering is another huge one because even Mm -hmm. if you're alive, and that's one that I'm still, of course, dealing with. And I think every time I get into a cold plunge, every time I go into a hard ceremony and I face, because this is the way to deal with fear is you face it. Mm -hmm. I was just watching The Witcher and uh, Geralt says, this was just last night, Geralt says, fear is an illness and if you catch it, it can consume you. Mm. And then Siri says, well, how do you, how do you cure it? And he says, you face it, mm. you face it. You have, there's, there's no other way mm. to get around fear. Sorry, like there's no other way, you have to face it. And in this process from the, from the nettles to the intensity of the ceremony, you're facing your fear of suffering by putting yourself in a situation, a safe situation, where you have to fucking deal with it. Mm-hmm. You have to do something really hard and deal with it. So it seems like that for you, two of the major fear monsters that are out there plaguing most people, you've, you've really faced them. Mm-hmm. So what is your relationship with fear now? Well, the fear of death, uh, you can die a bunch of times here and uh, still have a fear of death. The fear of death is not death for me is um did i live a good life yeah right. um, what's next right so i can die many times but if i'm not prepared for that death then the fear's still there mm-hmm. <clears throat> so i learned to go deep enough and to um turn over every rock as they say, I, ha- I have no secret. I, I have no nothing that I have not faced. I have no thought, no dark thought, no good thought. I, I don't. There's nothing that I haven't sat in a hammock and faced. Um, then you said the right thing of suffering. So suffering was my other fear. How is that death? Um, so then I started going heavier on the ayahuasca, and I would go into where I would drink so much ayahuasca where I couldn't breathe, and I'd have to sit there and painfully try not to have a heart attack and breathe for about three hours until I can feel okay again. I'm not, I wouldn't recommend that for other people, but that was part of my training and facing facing my fears, taking it to a limit of, well, maybe I am close to death probably because my body is shutting down because I'm poisoning myself so much. Um, But I went through that of facing the fear of suffocation. I mean, there's times where my chest is so heavy all I could do is concentrate on just holding a little breath. And if I could grab some of that breath and keep that going, then that's like having a straw underwater. I'm still yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, as long as I could feel <laughs> myself, I'm still going. I can maintain this for uh-huh. days if I have to. Um, so that was part of my training and doing my own personal retreats. Um, and, and once I uncovered every stone and... Um, started living truthfully and honestly in a way that I'm proud of, um, then fear just disappears. So going into my next life, I have zero fear. Mm. And um, I don't think I have any fear other than uh, I just hope to do the best that I um, can from, from this point on. I think one of the other fears that people deal with, which is a, it's a slippery one because it's based, it's rooted in preference itself, right? Like, and we can have a preference to be wealthy, a preference to be successful, a preference to have worldly pleasures of some certain things versus not having worldly pleasures. Some, and this is based in the, both the sense, 
the the corporeal body that likes the sensations of these certain things and also the ego body which likes the validation of these certain things but these certain pleasures that we like versus the things that we don't like so every time we have a desire there's an accompanying fear of not having that desire every time we have a hope there's accompanying fear that we're not going to actualize that hope i really understand i understand that when we have hope we're actually living partially in a future reality that we believe is as real as we believe that it's going to be real like our belief is creating this future world for us and so that's why hope is scary because if we don't reach that world we have to suffer the disappointment of that thing but the interesting thing about going into the medicine world as deep as you are is you realize like a different perspective on what really matters like what really matters and i imagine that for you coming from vegas where all the worldly shit matters like whatever thing you had on your business card whatever how many zeros you had in your bank account whatever your clout score was you know whatever that was was really important but that shit must have is must be really falling away now too right it's so far gone it's 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 funny to talk about old stories because i can honestly say i don't have them i don't (laughs) there's no more I'm I'm who I am right now. Like I, <clears throat> I have no past. Um, um, I I don't have a fear because I'm trying. Um, I try in every way to live correctly that I can. My I, I want to be a good man, a good husband, uh, a good guide. Um, I want to be able to have the personal courage and strength to do what's necessary for me. So that I can take others and and hopefully if they can get 1% of what I got then they've got something mm-hmm. and maybe they can hook on and you know ayahuasca isn't the way for everyone certainly but maybe I can just get you 1% forward and then you can continue on mm-hmm. um, so I think um and I don't I don't have a fear anymore I, I and, sense and I that. don't, and I, don't I, have, to ask um, you about it. I don't have a desire other than uh, live the best I can. Mm-hmm. I think I can say that with honesty. And the, and the beauty of that is it's determined moment by moment, mm-hmm. right? If we listen, if we listen, we'll be guided to do the best thing in this next moment. Mm-hmm. You know, like living a good life is a present tense situation, you know? And if really we trust that we'll get the wisdom, we'll get the action items, we'll get the next thing to do, and then we trust that we'll execute it, mm-hmm. all of this stress of playing this 4d chess that we're always trying to play from you know the past and the future and what yeah there's a place for it but there's also a place you can play chess from a place of absolute like tranquility and trust and equanimity mm-hmm. and uh and so while it may seem like oh it's a lot of pressure to be the best person i can no it's not only mm-hmm. if you want it to be mm-hmm. it's a moment by moment thing yeah what's that interaction with that one random person your server your person like what's what's every bit of energy that you're putting out in the world and every little thing that you do can you do that with excellence with you know can mm-hmm. you do that like the like the zen tea ceremony like pour the tea pour the tea in the best way possible mm-hmm. you know right. drink the tea in the most respectful right. like beautiful way possible where you're connecting with the plant be like yeah. thank you plant thank you sun that warmed the plant you know rain that that watered it thank you like mm-hmm. can you live in this way mm-hmm. and and that's the that is really the the goal that's how you release all mm-hmm. of this frantic you know crazy free floating anxiety and all of this stuff is just to kind of 
let go and, and live now. I'm, I'm thankful to have those moments. You know, I have those tea moments, but for me, it can be after ceremonies and I go sit alone by myself. And I mean, I'm, all I can do is, is thank you. Mm-hmm. you know, thank you for everything. Um, thank you for the vomit. Thank you for the trees. Thank, I mean, you, you just have so much gratitude that uh, you still have a, a human life and you still have to, it's hard to also still have a business to manage that that things come with that. Um, But I just feel like once you clean yourself out and turn over every rock, you know, what is there to fear anymore? Um, You can put one foot in front of the other now with, with peace and and a little pride. And I think you can become so strong. You're soft. Um, that's so a I, very, uh, you heard you say that yesterday at dinner, and that's a beautiful way to look at I it. I say that a lot in my head. Become so strong yeah. that you're soft. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hardness is actually the opposite of strength mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like real strength doesn't need to show that you're Strength hard. is understanding your mind, allowing it to flow. It's not blocking it. It's not pretending. It's, it's, um, I think the true strength is being able to turn over every stone face yeah. them look at them read them hold them and it doesn't mean that you away. don't do hard things you got to do hard sure, things you sure. have to do all of the hard things to be actually strong yeah. so that you can actually be soft yes you know be yeah. gentle yes yes yeah all right so you're running you're running a program now yes. down there and down there in Colombia with all of the connections you have to the indigenous and after talking with you at dinner and really understanding it one of the things that you're offering is a real initiation. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a this is an initiation ritual. Yes. And it's not that everybody has to go through the same initiation. Some initiations are too much mm-hmm. for others. But it seems like no matter what, you're going to custom tailor an initiatory experience with this medicine. Mm-hmm. That's something that's, you know, ayahuasca is an initiation in and of itself. But it seems like with you and the traditions that you're working with, there's a real beautiful quality to it that's like this is a rite of passage yeah that's a great way to put it um so i work with different communities uh, the kofan the inga korawahe the sionis um inga i think i said inga uh, also the kamtra and and each one of these communities offer a very different type ceremony all very much um rite of passage um, when you spend time with them and you finish through their night or their two days, however long you're with them, you definitely um, become one of them. You know, we don't, um, there's there's no circles holding hands saying kumbaya, okay? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we don't um, pretend to love anybody until it's over and then you love everybody. <laughs> I mean, they are your brothers, they are your sisters. Um, once you Once you go through the trenches together, um, in this time, because it's very beautiful, it's very loving, it's very open-hearted, but it requires work and it requires dedication and it requires discipline, um, courage. And um, we've been very blessed with with each guest that's come down has given all of those. So as long as you come uh, ready to put in the work and with a little understanding that it is work, there's no laying around in hammocks, you know, a little bit of time, sure. Uh, we do show you some beautiful places and we do medicines and waterfalls and we go on great swims, but those are little breaks in between the hard work. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, we will put you on motorcycles and we're going to take you on four-hour rides maybe. And we're going deep into the jungle, but we're going to some very beautiful communities. And um, they accept us and have a great relationship with them. And um, we have certain etiquettes that we make sure our guest has and that we have. And we always respect the communities. But, man, they give you what you're looking for. They yeah. have it. Yeah, and there's this whole, I mean, it's very symbolic. A lot of times you're walking up the mountain Mm. to go visit these communities and you do medicine all night. Every one of them is kind of like a movie in the sense to where to get there, there's the old man at the top of the mountain or the the lady through the rivers of the jungle and Uh you get there and you have to walk through the back of their community to get to the Maimon. Um, They're all a little mystical. It's it's a little mystical. It's a little fairy tale-ish. Um, it's pretty amazing. And then yeah. you walk back, and I'm sure at that point, with your heart open and your eyes really open, yeah. you see how magical yeah. that place actually is. And your feeling is. of accomplishment. So yeah. one thing that we like to do is uh, we have somewhat of a strengthening program. Uh, we're, we're looking for the people that are ready to move forward onto the next level. Um, and, and it's for people that, like you said, you want to sharpen your swords. You've got a big thing coming up with business or you're having some family issues or you want to move forward. You're going to get married, w- whatever the situation is. Or you're just craving an initiation, a rite of passage, yes. something to find out what's inside you when every part of you is screaming to but quit. We want to test will you. you fucking quit or yeah, will right. you will you right. stay with it? Right. Will you stay with it? Yeah. And if you go ahead and just stay with it. Um, you're going to get what you're looking for. It comes. This is yeah. real. This, the- and you'll know that about yourself. Like you'll know that. That was one of the things that happened. At, I was actually getting very sick in uh, in Peru one of the times I was working with um, Don Howard and Don Robert. And uh, so physically I was really unwell. I had like some parasites and some yeast that were like mm. going crazy. And I didn't know that at the time. I was just so weak. I was so weak. And I went to the final the final ceremony and Don Howard, and I was not going to drink. And Don Howard somehow intuited that and walks up to me before ceremony and says, the warrior's heart beats as one. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> fine. I'll take a full cup. You know? And I was like in such- Fill it up, doc. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like such hell. Like it was so brutal. My body was just like wrecked and I was- lying down in the fetal position just sweating through my illness and the eye was hitting and it was like i wanted to give up and you know my grandma came to me in a vision and said just get up aubrey get up get up and i was like i can't grandma i can't she's like yes you can aubrey get up and i was like okay grandma and like tears streaming down my face and i stood up got myself upright grabbed my mapacho lit it and started breathing it was like i found that yeah, I had a little help from my grandma, but yeah. at that point, at my very brink, you know, it was, you know, and she showed me like, look what, look what you have to fight. And I looked outside, and it was like this scene from my favorite place, Cyrano. It was like greed and ignorance and and jealousy and anger and all of the negative emotions and things that were plagued by were outside of the Maloka. And it's like this is what this is why you fight and i was like okay grandma i will and i'll never stop wow. and i like found that beautiful i found that in me so no matter what happens and i have all kinds of things that i still work on but no matter what happens i trust now that if i'm brought to my brink the warrior will emerge yes. like push yeah. me enough yeah. and my highest attributes will emerge because i i found that in mm-hmm. the medicine mm-hmm. and i can't express how valuable it is because that becomes a bedrock of what you know about yourself 
you're like, yeah. I know. Like, all right, so things are kind of fucked up, like a little bit bad, like a flight delay and things. Yeah, I might be a fussy little pansy about all that. Okay. But when it comes when to it, when it comes to it, to it, you know, I'm, I'm in. A, I'm in. Yes. And that's something I really know about myself. Yeah, that's very good. Um, I think it was Viktor Frankl that talked about, uh, I can endure any pain as long as there's meaning. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think. Um, Ikkyu Sojin takes it one step further and says, throw me into hell and I'll find a way to enjoy it. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like that's also like, that's, that's the fucking, that's the way. I, I think um, that people are experiencing that with us. Um, in these indigenous communities, they're very serious about what they do. It's, it's not commercial. This is how they live. This is what's been passed down. They're serving their children or they're serving their neighbor. They're serving their, uh, their friends and family. And um, everyone finds that strength inside of them because everyone there has difficulties. And it doesn't matter if it's your first time and you're drinking with um, the Inga tribe. They may be crying too. Everyone is human. Everyone's having difficulties they're getting into. And uh, I think with ayahuasca, it's not like alcohol. You, you don't build a tolerance. Um, it's coming into you and, and you have... Sometimes the opposite, you build a sensitivity. Opposite, yes. <clears throat> One cup can have much stronger because you, you understand how to take it. You understand yeah. how to go into it. But um, everyone there, once we're in the communities, are together. There's no separation. You know, we form a... Tulpa, as they call it, the group. And um, everyone gets very connected and they fight the battles together. And when one person's having a hard time, other people are holding ground for you. And um, I think each person has been finding that they're finding um, a sense of strength they didn't know they have. And we work with them until the ceremony. And look, it may be just starting with rapé. It may be starting with doing a Ortiga cleansing before we ever get to the ceremony. But we start uh, practicing some of the medicines and how to breathe and how to get through this to where when it comes to you, oh, okay, I do this. Mm -hmm. And once you find something starting to work, when, when your pains come to you and you remember, oh, Sean taught me how to breathe a certain way and you start breathing a little bit and you start feeling yourself <clears throat> working through it, you start feeling that little bit of a win, that kind of accomplishment. And I think um, people pick up on that and they continue with it. And then when a ceremony comes up, is over with, after a difficult ceremony, they feel really good because they made it through it. They did what they were supposed to do. They uh, found a piece of themselves they didn't know that they had. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us, no matter who we are, um, need some confidence. We need confidence. And uh, yeah. we need strength to give us confidence. This is one of the, I think, under underrated conversations and of course there's a lot of people who do talk about it there's the jocko willinks and mm -hmm. joe and myself and other podcasters really but uh this is not something that's talked about in the mainstream as much like the necessity to build real strength and like the appreciation for what that for what that can provide and i think it's because you know typically pretty much our world has been pretty easy mm. and so uh, an easy world doesn't challenge you to build the kind of strengths, strength, resilience, anti-fragility, those necessary traits that all of our ancestors had to have because they lived in a hard world, a really harsh mm -hmm. world. And for most of us, our world has been very convenient. And so it's led to a lot of difficulties where we have to seek out our own discomfort. But it seems that now the world is ramping up its global discomfort level. And there's going to be some people who are prepared because they've done the work to strengthen themselves and some people who are absolutely overwhelmed 
by this next threat, this next fear, this next thing that's happening, this next shortage, this next whatever it is, it seems like, okay, we're in a slightly different time now. And I pray that this time is very smooth and that, but it seems that my sensing is, is that it's going to get a little bumpy. And uh, I think unfortunately it's by design. When you say mainstream, mainstream <clears throat> is more interested in what they can sell you. And, and, uh, and a weaker person that that is um, dependent on them, dependent on Amazon, dependent on not having to leave their home to get things brought to them. And I think, unfortunately, by design, the weaker the person, the more um, mainstreams allowed to market their items, whatever that mm-hmm. is. And um, people forget how to get out of their house and get their own food. Mm-hmm. You know, something so small and simple, as you as you say. If this continues to get worse, those people are going to have a hard time. Yeah. Um, what happens if something shut down in a day? Yeah. Right. Um, and I think people are growing more attracted to this. You know, people are recognizing this weakness within themselves. I think uh, people are looking for these ad- adventurous, pushing themselves, um, finding themselves. I think that it's not as rare as it once was. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Well. Where can people go if they're curious in you know opening up the dialogue and seeing about what uh, what programs to go see you are available? We mostly market on Instagram. <clears throat> Instagram um, is at the Native Guides. That's our company, the Native Guides. Um, and what we've done there is it's not just pretty pictures. Um, at the Native Guides shows you exactly the titus that we work with. We yeah, have videos of everything. Descriptions of them. We have interviews with them. We have uh, quotes from the titus. We show the medicines we work with. We show some of the experiences of the guests. So we really try to inform and educate people about what they're getting with us. Um, you won't see any Google images placed on our on our sites, but we also have a YouTube channel. Is the Native Guides. And uh, same thing, we have the Native Guide Experience where we have two awesome ladies that came with us and we show the full 10-day experience. Um, but uh, we also have a website, the thenativeguides.com. And um, um, anyone can, can text me, message me from Instagram, um, or email us. And email is thenativeguides at protonmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I'm wide open. I'm ready to answer a text or an Instagram message any any moment. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk. Uh, yeah. Right? I mean, this is this is why I'm here. Yeah, brother. It's been it's just been a beautiful to be you know a part of this journey that you're on, and I'm so grateful that uh you know whatever whatever parts of the unseen wove our paths together, mm-hmm. and uh, and we can sit here with this altar in front of us and you know, hape being served together and, and just be a part of this, be a part of this life. Because, you know, I remember um, one day you guys, you and Dave did so much for me. And one, you know, I, in one inebriated night after a bunch of good, really good tequila or whiskey, I don't know, I'd go back and forth between them. But ultimately I said, you know, one day I'll have a bunch of money and I'll go into your place and I'll spend it for real. <laughs> no, I won't. You won't have to call me anymore. And you're like, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's awesome. Like you appreciated that sentiment. But of course, our lives have taken a much different path and we get to share a, a much, much more beautiful experience yeah, than yeah. me buying a bunch of bottles from you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for, for taking me. I mean, you, 
<clears throat> you saw something either in me and the medicine and, and uh, you you were a big part of everything that, that I do now. Thank yeah, you. Of course, brother. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We love you. We'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you're interested in any of the Fit for Service programming, make sure you check out fitforservice.com. I love you all, and I'll see you next week.